Indeed, welcome to part 5 of Metanorn's look back at Katanagatari. If you're just joining us, this is a series of podcasts we're doing about the show from 2010, which is, well, it's actually finished re-airing this past spring season on Noitamina, but um, we've fallen a bit behind due to some scheduling issues. Uh, but what the hell. So today we'll be talking about episodes 9 and 10. Uh, as usual, I'm your host, Min, joined by J-Ro. Hey, what's up? We've already done three or... Years. Yeah, previous, so, uh, 40s, Four. actually, so, yeah. uh, <laughs> yeah, and, uh, no one else this time, actually, no special guests for you today, just the two of us from Metanorn to, uh, talk about episodes 9 and 10. Uh, I, I like this green room that I have to talk. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know, um, like, last time with Patches and Natasha was a lot of fun, they, you know, <clears throat> talked so much that I, I, I actually to be honest, felt a little bad because you didn't, uh, I, I was afraid you didn't get uh, enough word in. Yeah. Not a knock but... on them. They were no, no, games. not at all. I'm, I'd love to have them back again for the final episode of this. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, not at all a knock on them. I just, with that enthusiasm, it's, uh, with the podcast format like this, it can be hard to just fit everything in. So, you know, that's just how it is. But, anyway, so, Episode 9 and Episode 10. We continue on the journey to collect the swords. If you recall, in Episode 8, Shichika and Togame defeated a robot. And now in Episode 9... They go to this town called Dewa Tendo to collect the Oto Nokogiri, which turns out to be a wooden practice sword. And it's be- it belongs to a woman by the name of Zanki Kiguchi, who is the um, current head of her school of martial arts, which seems to be a form of kendo based on uh, what like the armor that she wears and mm-hmm. the sword she does. And we see in the opening scene basically she's a big shogi player um so shogi is uh well jero do you know are you familiar with shogi at all i've only seen it in anime but i have the idea that it's kind of a a strategy game Mm -hmm. yeah i've i've also pretty much only seen it in anime i guess i've growing up in korea i saw some like old people in the streets playing it with people with each other and such kind of like chess over here in america Mm -hmm. I, the sense that I get, it's, it's a pretty similar game of strategy, turn-based. But yes, yeah, so Dewa Tendo is a big shogi town, and Zanki Kiguchi is a. Turns out she's a big shogi player. So, what uh, Togame plays her in shogi, uh, defeats her as part of the deal to fight for the possession of the sword, and Shichika fights. Uh, Zanki Kiguchi in a duel which what's kind of funny she, he wants to fight her unarmed because that's how he always fights but she refuses to let him do that well he, he fights her with a wooden sword and predictably enough he loses very quickly because it you know it's the that's his gimmick if you recall in the first episode from the very first episode he simply cannot handle swords it just flies out of his hands and I believe this is the first time we've actually seen him hold a sword in the series, right? Well, Other than yeah, besides, like, the times fighting with... Yeah, besides the first episode, I believe this is the first time he's actually held a sword, um, or at least for the purpose of fighting. I think he might have held some swords, uh, just picked them up, but... Mm-hmm. Yeah. But this is the first time we actually see him fighting with it, and, and it's kind of funny how horrible he is. He just <laughs> can't get a handle on it. Yeah, uh... And we see more of this uh, later in the episode when uh, 
basically Kikuchi decides this duel wasn't fair because this, you know, Shichika is just that bad with the sword. So she wants to train him, and we see kind of some scenes of them training, and Shichika with the sword again. Just it slides slides out of his hands. Uh, he can't grip it right. And I remember there was a pretty funny shot of him doing like a, a squatting pose with the sword, and it he just looks like I don't know a baseball catcher, uh-huh. <laughs> like uh, or something like that, or I don't know a football linebacker getting ready for you know getting down on his like really crouching down, and mm-hmm. yeah, he just has no idea what how to do it. <laughs> I thought like the. The main thing of this episode uh, was really about Togame and Shichika. That uh, basically Kikuchi is um, a young woman around the age of Shichika, and because they're training, they're training, uh, they're spending a lot of time alone together, and that kind of makes Togame feel a little left out. And it doesn't help that every time she comes to uh, encourage him or bring some food. She just happens to uh, run into them in some compromising position. <laughs> really funny that they <laughs> did this uh, not once or, or twice, but three times in the episode, and Tagami just runs <laughs> off uh, at, by the third time, even sort of crying over it, uh, over her jealousy towards uh, Kiguchi. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, I remember there was uh, one where it looked like they were kissing. Uh, and I think the last one, he falls on top of her, mm-hmm. and uh, he's actually. I, I remember in the quick pan-up shot that their feet or their toes were intertwined somehow. Yeah, when they were yeah, it falling. almost looked like uh, things were getting really hot and heavy. <laughs> yeah, and even like the first one that they did, it was really funny because, but from Togami's view, it looks like they're kissing, and Kikuchi even puts her hands on his head, almost seem, making mm-hmm. it seem like they're getting real intense. Yeah. And by the time Tagami is gone, is he okay? <laughs> yeah. I, I also really like the uh, art style shift uh, <laughs> for those shots where um, everything turned into kind of a shoujo manga feel. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. That was uh, discussed last time of the, the different stylings in episode 7. Mm-hmm. So this one, the, the shoujo and all the sparkles and stuff. There's uh, some nice imagery. Yeah, and actually that reminds me of uh, what Patches mentioned, that he thought this was a almost a response to the Bakemonogatari series, because, you know, again, Bakemonogatari is kind of known for its radical art style shifts and borrowing from a lot of different uh, old, uh, well-known designs. For mm-hmm. So, yeah, we get uh, little bits of that here, which I guess, I think this felt a lot like kind of a harem love comedy episode really almost yeah. you got the very typical misunderstandings you know guy trips and falls right on top of a girl and you know that somebody else sees it and it's like oh it's a pervert that kind of thing mm-hmm. yeah and in most anime you know, as, as a fan I kind of facepalm over a lot of that stuff but seeing it done here was uh, was more clever and funny in my opinion yeah, I think this was a good... Uh, it almost feels like a breather episode because there isn't too much on the line. Like They're, they're not fighting for death. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, it's much of the time is spent on just the yeah, love comedy antics. Um, I was actually... I rewatched this episode last week, just, you know, preparing for this. And I was actually caught by how kind of silly some of the shots were uh, composed like when Togame is getting really upset at Shichika she you see her kind of like look at the screen she becomes big in the screen as if she's coming towards the camera and is you know crying and her mouth becomes real big I I was actually reminded a little bit of Furikuri in that just almost kind of a slapstick um, physical comedy in there <laughs> but uh, I mean there were also some you know more serious stuff here with the uh, Maniwa Ninja we see uh, the th- only three are remaining at this point uh, Ho-Wo the uh, leader Maniwa Penguin who we haven't really seen much of yet and 
Manima Oshidori, who is the duck-based ninja, who, if you recall, was the fiancé of one of the ninja who got killed in episode 4. Mm-hmm. And they discover another one of the deviant blades, the Dokuto Meki, which is supposedly the most evil of the blades. You see it in a ca- hidden away in a cave, like stuck in a rock. And Ho-Oh, as soon as he touches it, he can feel just how evil it is or how much poison it's in it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so they pick it up. Uh, one thing I thought was kind of interesting was after they do, Ho-Oh ha- has this like really evil sounding laughter, which it's kind of the cliche bit where, you know, in movies where the evil villain just cackles as if he knows you know something yeah. is going to happen he holds immense power in his hands <laughs> yeah which i thought it was kind of funny he's doing it in front of his ninja buddies and you know they're just kind of looking at it and they're cool with it i guess because yeah yeah Being but it's awesome yeah but of course they don't know what's coming <laughs> yeah no which in this episode at least we saw emon zaimon comes to kill Ho-Oh, but he can't because Oshidori uh, stays back to uh, fight him and her plans to kill him, but while the uh, other two run away. And she, I thought, you know, she had a pretty cool looking uh, attack. I don't remember the name, but it was all a bunch of whips that she was flying around. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, she disarms Emon Zaiman immediately once he takes out his uh, dual swords. And even Emon Zaiman's teleporting ability doesn't really seem to help him because you see him use it against her, but then she uh, just attacks him immediately without um, without giving him time to get the upper hand. The setting for the fight was really unique because it looked like it looked like a bunch of hills, small hills, and there was like a unique pattern to them. Yeah, I actually I remember seeing that and just kind of wondering like where are they fighting it doesn't really look like land it almost looked like they were on leaves and mm-hmm. yeah as you said there was little hills it's definitely not just flat ground there yeah i wasn't sure about that but yeah it really fit well with uh, oshidori's ninpo the way it her ninpo like sprouts on top above her creates like a i don't know a cage sort mm-hmm. of of whips yeah, yeah. Yeah, but uh, you know, unfortunately for Oshidori, uh, Emon Simon kind of had a couple aces up his sleeve, which uh, are were the uh, pistols from last time. <laughs> you see him after he's you know basically defeated. He stands back and is like, "Haha, you think you've won?" But takes out the guns and just shoots her. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it seems unfair pulling out the. Uh... The fantasy weapons to, to fight. And she she was really good in her battle, but and, and she even, you know, almost kind of defeated him, but uh, guns. They're they're uh, great because of their range. <laughs> yeah, they kinda work. Uh, they're yeah, technologically a little farther ahead. So yeah, you say fantasy, although I guess it, it might fit kind of sci fi for oh, this yeah, setting, right? That's true. That's true. That, this is a future weapon. And, uh... Yep. Yeah, he shoots her, and... I, th- I thought it was kind of nice that well, as she's dying, she you, we see her with the, uh, her lover. I forget his name, actually. He was, like, the, he was the fly-based mm-hmm. ninja. I think he was and, the green one of those three. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so they, I guess, kind of, di- you know, they're in death together at this point. It's... But ninja are always kind of... I find it kind of funny because, you know, sometimes like in episode 4, they spend a lot of time building up these characters only to just, you know, blam, kill them really quickly. Mm-hmm. They they really are, as we talked about before, kind of the um, comic relief in a way because yeah. they're just so pathetic. And <laughs> Although the ones that are left over are... You know, they're the kind of the badasses, I guess. Yeah, but yeah, even Penguin. <laughs> well, yeah, even Penguin, as we'll see in, well, next uh, episode that we record, we'll mm-hmm. see uh, 
talk more about his abilities. It, it does kind of seem like Nisio does make out these characters kind of seem pathetic, but in their final moments sort of gives them some very interesting development with the, the marriage and uh, like the, uh, the turtle guy from an episode ago. Yeah, I, I, I definitely really liked the turtle guy's line, like, but I think it was Umeboshi the long-lived has mm-hmm. become short-lived <laughs> as he's dying. He has to make that lame joke right before he dies. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah, um, basically the ninja are down to two. Hoo and Penguin. And uh, we've finally seen that those guns aren't just decoration. They are weapons. And as we mentioned last time, those guns are the 12th Deviant Blade. They are, were revealed in the first episode to be the 12th Deviant Blade. So, you know, no spoilers if you're only up to this episode. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But um, kind of going back to the uh, Togame and Shichika, we, and, you know, going, kind of speaking of lovers, we see the Togame and Shichika share a, what I believe is their first kiss. Mm-hmm. And uh, this is after... Shichika has been training for 10 days. He says, you know, he's basically not improved at all, but he's still, you know, learned something. So Togame wants him to win by fluke. That's that's her grand strategy. That's mm-hmm. what she tells him. And he's like, uh, th- that's not going to work. I, you know, I, ha- I have all these things that I've learned. And, you know, she kisses him. And he's like, oh, now have you forgotten all of them? And you see him kind of get all flustered and... Yeah, I thought that was a very cute moment here. Yeah, it seems like against the women, uh, excluding Saruga Meisai, that he needs some kind of help from Togame in order to win, or in the case of Nanami, help from the enemy herself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, that I, that's an interesting point, that it seems that all the people he's had trouble with are women. Um and I guess we'll talk more about that when we talk about the next episode, which kind of deals with that very directly. And it's kind of funny in some way, I guess, because you think a man versus a woman, the whole sort of like Sanji One Piece characters, like I would never hit women or anything like that. But because he's developing as a human, but he's not really like a fully realized person that he can't really discern all that much between men and women. Mm-hmm. As, as opponents yeah I think there's well I, you know Katanagatari always struck me as a show that you know doesn't really try to get that whole gender issue mm-hmm. raised like all the men just are very willing to hurt the women and vice versa of course and there's a lot of badass women including yeah. you know his sister who is the most powerful being in the world, I guess. Oh, or at least she was. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you, yeah, she's dead. Um, but yeah, there's a lot of badass women. It's pretty equal opportunity, I thought. You know, even the ninja, there's plenty of women there, mm-hmm. including some of the most powerful ones. And um, yeah, the ones that Shichika has trouble with are all women. So yeah, ultimately, Togame devises an actual plan to defeat Kiguchi, which... Uh, in, it involves a bit of trickery because she plays her in shogi, I believe, um, total of nine times, mm-hmm. she, or total of ten times, including the first game. But it's best out of nine. She wins five four, and using the knowledge of her shogi playstyle that she took up, she's learned, um, while Kiguchi and Shichika are dueling, they. She just uh, starts yelling out moves in Shogi, which uh, has the effect of Kikuchi losing her concentration and thinking of what moves to do next. Mm-hmm. And uh, because of that, Shichika is able to just get a quick slap in with the sword onto her face before he falls over <laughs> and yeah, drops the sword. What's yeah, that... Uh... I'm blanking on the name of the the condition where you sort of somebody kind of gets stuck in their own head about something like shogi. Um, 
It's not. I don't think OCD fits. Um, I'm. I'm not sure what you're referring to, actually. How how Kiyuchi gets stuck in her head while Togami is reciting shogi moves. Mm-hmm. Like it seems like that. At once she put that thought in her head, that that's all she could think about, and it was throwing her off, and that's how uh, Chichiko was able to win by fluke. Right. Yeah, I'm. I'm not familiar with the um, the term, but I I thought it was a really it was really neat though that basically the implication was that Togame could figure out which move she was going to do next, so they actually could play a game against each other even though Kiguchi was not vocalizing her own moves, mm-hmm. you could see that she was thinking her move in her head, and then you know, Togami would do her move, and you know they would keep repeating. I'd, yeah. I have no idea if those were all legal moves. I hope they were. I mean, yeah. I would hope that they'd at least do that much research, but... They're so would... good, they can play Air Shogi. <laughs> yeah, it's like... Um... Have you ever watched that chess movie, um, Searching for Bobby Fischer? No, I haven't. Uh, there's a scene there where this you know, genius kid, very good at chess, but has some you know, psychological issues. He's the main character. Um, he's having a lot of trouble playing a, a game against someone on the chess, with the chessboard in front of him. So his, what his teacher does is just like slap the entire chessboard away and say, tell him, do it in your head instead of mm-hmm. um, you know, using the pieces. And using that, he's able to improve a lot more. So... That that was a pretty neat, you know, similar vein. That when you're that good, you you don't need the board. Mm-hmm. You just yeah, you yeah. just know what's going on. Um. So yeah, uh, because of that, Shichika and Togame collect the sword. And what you know, I thought it was interesting. Uh, Kiguchi's her story, which um, it, basically she really didn't have much interest in martial arts until her grandfather who was the former head of her school died and she kind of had to inherit it and uh, getting the uh, Oto no Kogiri allowed her to become the head that she is now but even after she's got rid of the sword and gave it to them she s- decides to stay on as the head mm-hmm. and like throughout the episode she's kind of talking about how she expects her uh, school to die with her that this is a peaceful time it's not a time for martial arts anymore there isn't that much interest but she's still staying on as uh, she claims that that basically Oto no Kugiri used to be the legacy of her school now it's her Mm. like her herself she there's this scene where when they're saying goodbye, she like it suddenly turns slightly turns shoujo vision again, and she smiles mm-hmm. like, and she'll become a showgirl or something like that. I wasn't exactly sure what the wordplay was, but huh. yeah, that's a, that's a weird purpose to have. Yeah, uh, yeah, I wasn't quite sure what to make of that. Uh, yeah. What do you think of the character Kiguchi? Like, I thought her like the vis- visually, she I really liked her design. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I did. It, with, with her in this episode, I, I at this point I kind of realized that the episodes I kind of enjoy the most are the ones with women. Oddly enough, because I think this this one it didn't have anywhere near the same kind of story that. Uh, episodes three, six, and seven did, mm-hmm. but there was, but it played much more to the comedic nature of the show, with Togame uh, seeing yep. them, and uh, you know there was there was some moments of seriousness, but uh, but I really liked uh, Zonki Kiyuchi. It was it was fun to watch her train Shichika. Yeah, I and uh, I love her design being kind of a merging of the two things she does her pupils are have shogi shapes inside them mm-hmm. and uh, she has a lock of hair down her left side which looks like a blade yeah, like a sharpened blade um which, which is, i guess is kind of ironic because she fights with a wooden sword, wooden sword. 
Yeah. But although she does make the point that a wooden sword is still a weapon, all it can't do is cut, but it can still bludgeon and all that. So, it's still a martial art. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you see Dokuto Meiki in this episode, and, and I was like, hey, an actual sword for a change. kind of <laughs> weird. It's, you know, you got a wooden sword, and you got a hilt, and guns. <laughs> yeah, actually, um, that. The Dokuto Meiki was the first real sword that we've seen since, I think, episode 3. Mm-hmm. Like, episode 4. Or no, since episode 4? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, since he fought. He fought the uh, he fought the best swordsman for the sword there. Although we didn't see the fight at all. No, but we did um, see the the sword in all its shining glory. Yep. And episode five was an armor. Episode six was a big slab of rock. Episode seven was a little okay. dagger. Mm-hmm. Eight was a robot, and nine, we're kind of a sword, but it's really mm-hmm. a, a practice sword, not yeah. a blade. But yeah. Uh, any other thoughts on, on this episode? I think we covered uh, most. Nothing much else other than it was, uh, it was a good Breaver episode. Yeah, I, I remember um, kind of enjo- enjoying this quite a bit, as you said, because of the uh, co- love comedy aspect. But also, um, yeah, Kiguchi is just, uh, I think, a fun character. Very likable. And uh, yeah, we get to see guns being used (laughs) and they're really cool looking guns too with the flame design yeah yeah and Emlyn Zyman knows how to make it look cool with his like cross hand Mm -hmm. cross armed thing it's a very Hollywood pose (laughs) yeah I know I'm thinking like where did he learn to do that he hasn't seen any John Woo movies Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) but Yes, moving on to um, episode 10, which is starting to enter the final stages of this show. It's, you know, it's three episodes from the end. And we go to a very important place for Togame. Uh, first of all, the 10th Deviant Blade is called the Seito Hakari, uh, which uh, means scales, the true sword. And it's located in Hakkeijo in Oshu, which is actually where the very first scene of the series took place. Where Togame, if you recall, is looking at what turns out is her father being killed in front of her in this fiery building. And um, basically, this was an execution ground for everyone in this failed rebellion which uh, her father was part of, I believe. And so in the opening scene, we see Togame digging a hole, basically digging for the Seito Hakari, and having some flashbacks to this moment in her life when, well, if you recall, that's when her hair turned white. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and she got the eye too, right? Yep, her uh, strategist. Stratagem. Yeah, strategist eye. Mm-hmm. Yeah, depending on what subs you use. The uh, official, the uh, official NIS America subs use a uh, strategist, which uh, I mean, that's a yeah, that's a mouthful. <laughs> I like that choice too. It's the, the weirdness of the dialogue in its series. Yeah. So they go to uh, Seto Hakari, where they run into. Or they expect to run into this holy man called Higaki Rine. And, you know, it, first it's just a, basically a desert. They don't know what to, what, what to find. And all of a sudden, this little girl appears in, in between them. Who, and it's revealed later, it's actually a combination of um, four different women that Shichika fought in the past. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think most obviously she she looks or he looks a lot like Konayuki Itezora, the snow girl from episode six. Mm-hmm. He's got the uh, missing tooth on one side, but also his hair is looks a lot like Nanami's, the color. There's also uh, 
Zanki Kikuchi from the previous episode, um, which I wasn't actually sure how her design fit in, and also Tsuruga Meisai from episode 3. And so he's apparently a merging of all four of these women, or women slash girls, mm-hmm. into um, one being. And I thought what was weird is uh, how they mentioned that because Shichika and Togame see them sees him at the same time, that she takes on different traits mm-hmm. for for Shichika and from Togami. Like the Shichika, it uh, all all of those uh, physical aspects you mentioned is came out, and from Togame, the her personality was uh, uh, Higaki Rine's personality was like Togami because she saw them or they both saw them at the same time which I thought was weird right his personality was based off her father oh yeah which um, apparently she and her father didn't have the the cleanest of relationships it seems like he was always kind of bullying her in some way or kind of ragging on her Um, so because of that, yeah, he gets this really, what Shichika and Togame call him, you know, a really nasty personality. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that was definitely in- funny that, because usually I think if somebody gets characteristics from some the viewer's past or brain, it's often like, you know, he appears differently to different people. But in this case, he is what he is based on these two different people's memories. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I guess that, you know, that's the magic of it that yeah. he takes on this um, being. And I think it's pretty funny that he takes on the personality of Togami's father. So it's like, who is he really? Like, how much of his, of this actual holy man's identity is there? I'm not mm-hmm. sure. And so you know, he there and kind of channeling her Togame's father he tells Togame you have to dig to get the Seito Hakari and it's right below you but it's 30 meters below you and and he demands that only Togame can dig Shichika isn't allowed to help her mm-hmm. and uh, which is why we saw her digging in the very opening scene I thought like that number really gets me because 30 meters is about 100 feet mm-hmm. which roughly translates to almost like 9 or 10 stories high yeah. <laughs> of a building so we're talking just getting in and out of this hole you're gonna need a one hell of a ladder mm-hmm. <laughs> to yeah, do that yeah, I don't set up. Uh, yeah uh, so I'd, I'd imagine it would you know realistically it would have taken Togame someone of her strength and abilities a lot longer than it took mm-hmm. to do that. Yeah, and she's just using like a, like a regular garden tool, it looks like. She's not <laughs> yeah. using like a, a big shovel or anything like that, no machinery, so right. bring a bring a sleeping uh, bag because uh, it's going to take a while. <laughs> yeah, um, I thought it would have been funny if after she reached the bottom, like he tells her, oh, sorry, it's, you know, actually two meters over that <laughs> way. <laughs> Stuck. But, but no, he's not that nasty. He was, yeah. uh, but that doesn't mean he just gives it away. There's this whole kind of you know holy man riddle kind of thing where, um, so you know while Togame is doing all this digging, Shichika and Rine kind kind of get to know each other. They even have a duel eventually. But Rine explains that he's actually over 350 years old if you include the time when he was alive. So turns out he. He's dead, which, uh, you know, given that he's sort of a spiritual being anyway, based, it's not too much of a surprise. Mm-hmm. But yeah, he's over 350 years old, and he lived at the same time as Shikizaki Kiki. And the reason he has the Seito Hakari is because Kiki is a, was a friend of his, and he gave him the sword. And he claims that as soon as he received the sword, he was too afraid of the poison so he decided to just bury it immediately mm. and it's been there ever since for centuries some friend kiki is <laughs> well 
What, what do you mean by that? Well, if you if you give somebody a sword that's poison, I mean the guy's been around for three hundred fifty years. But do you really? By the way, this is all yeah. for funny. This is not real <laughs> conversation. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I guess. I guess the like the poison of the deviant blades is. It, it feels like it's a, just a very convenient uh, fantasy tool just to do anything. Like, mm-hmm. I wonder, because, you know, sometimes we see it being used by Tsuruga Meisai to ease the hearts of all these uh, abused women. Uh, we see in the case of the um, Dokuto Meki from the previous episode, when Ho grabs it, he can see how evil he is, and it translated to this evil laughter. Um, the the poison in uh, the blade that Nanami used gave her he- basically massive healing abilities. So, just so, it so the poison like... does many different things and has many different effects. Yeah, maybe and... dependent on who the user is. Yeah, and I guess and they're all. It's supposed to be a curse in some way, but we see that people have managed to use it for good things. Mm. Uh, um, yeah, but uh, so yeah, as I mentioned before, Shichika and Rine actually do have a duel, except it's you know it's kind of a practice duel. They're not really trying to kill each other, but also Rine is really not trying to hurt Shichika at all. He just backs away every time and um, you know kind of th- throws him off a few times but mm-hmm. this makes the point that Rene is he's all defense he actually uses some power level numbers he says you know it's like Shichika you're you're like a 10 I'm a 7 but all my 7 is on defense versus you being like a 5-5 five, five. so <laughs> that's why I can uh, uh, not get hurt by you and at the same time, he tells Shichika to relay a message to Togame. Or I don't know if he actually told him to relay to her, but he does relay to her, which is that uh, you've forgotten something important, and if you don't face the part of you that you're avoiding, you may never remember. And this, it uh, is, I think, supposed to be something really like critical for Togame to actually acquire the Seito Hakari. It's like, it's not just a matter of her digging. There's something that she, some epiphany or some realization that she needs to get in order for her to uh, acquire the sword and, you know, achieve her goals. And isn't there a point in the episode where Shichika is is having trouble remembering to say that to her? Um, I may be off on that. Yeah, I mean, I know that you know, every night you see Togame, she's resting from all her digging and Shichika is, uh, like, massaging her leg and all that. Mm-hmm. I think it was during one of those scenes. But, yeah, I don't remember exactly those the details. And, um, well, so, yeah, staying on Higaki Rine, I think, like, the, like the major thing here is that he, at the very end, he tells Shichika and Togame that actually Kotoryu is one of the swords that Shikizaki Kiki created. That, um, you know, beyond his 12 deviant blades, there's a 13th known as Kyoto Yasuri, mm-hmm. which uh, is the martial art that Kyoto, uh, Shichika, Nanami, his, their father and you know their entire lineage is, has done so and Shichika of course considers himself a sword which would make him one of the deviant blades and I think that's well you know I, I, I guess it's this is stuff that will be developed on a lot more in the next two episodes but it's like we can fi- finally see things kind of coming full circle in a way mm-hmm. and he, the, he says it doesn't. He doesn't see it as a significant, significantly changing anything. But um, I mean, that's to be determined in the final <laughs> two episodes. But at the time, it's kind of to him not that big of a deal. 
Yeah, I guess. It, and I, I mean, I think that's the right way to look at it, right? <laughs> He's he is who he is. It doesn't knowing this past of his lineage. It informs some things, but at the same time, it doesn't change that he's with Togame. It's their goal to uh, find all twelve blades, and they are where they are. Um, so yeah, you know, speaking of which, Togame ultimately does uh, find the Higaki Rine, which, or sorry, the Seito Hakari, uh, with Higaki Rine's help, which turns out is just the hilt of a sword, no blade. And so, you know, I guess that fits well with Higaki Rine's principle of no, no offense, all defense. There is no actual, um, no actual blade attached to it. Yeah, no way to hurt someone with it, <laughs> unless you throw it at them really hard or something. <laughs> um, and yeah, I'm, you know, I'm afraid I wasn't completely clear on it, like what. Rene was getting at with you know all his holy man speeches because mm-hmm. like Togame's what the revelation that Togame has is that she finally remembers what her father said to him or said to her before he died which was that um, you know she, he loves her very very much that and that even though her relationship with her father was not was again kind of strained you know maybe this was something that she had forcibly forgotten so that she could really feel her like I don't know bitterness at her father I wasn't sure about that and I mean she also says that she lives for her father and that this entire sword collection project is for him is uh, you know is to in a way make up for you know his failures so yeah, I'll, yeah, I wasn't quite sure what to make of all that. Do you have any thoughts? This is... I, I was watching the episode uh, just earlier, and this episode, maybe more so than any other, I kind of feel like if you look away and you miss one line, you'll really be lost because there's a lot of uh, exposition going on, especially in the conversation be- between Higake and, and Chichika and getting to the uh, the whole thing about uh, the Tagame, I, I don't really have uh, much insight to that because I'm as confused as you are about uh, what the, what the true meaning of, of her remembering uh, her father's last words are. Yeah, I mean, I I think it's definitely by design too, right? Hikaki Rine is this holy man who kind of likes to play tricks on people as we've seen so you know there's that trope of the kind of riddling mentor figure who will give you these clues and you know tell you exactly what you need to figure things out but not tell it to you in a way that is obvious or is clear to you so i think he fits that uh character type very well mm-hmm. he's he will make you um, a better person somehow before, without you even realizing it. Something like that. The holy man shall show you the way. <laughs> right. Um, yeah, and um, so yeah, I, that's sort of the main story in this uh, in this episode. But I think there was uh, there's plenty of um, important, big important things happening in the background including um, Princess Hite who well this ties into kind of uh, what Higaki Rine was saying about Shikizaki Kiki which is that um, well he says that Shikizaki Kiki was kind of a denying sort of person and if you recall Princess Hite's sort of tagline is that she will deny it like she will deny things to Emon Zaimon and I'm actually a little confused about the word deny here like it almost feels like it's some Japanese word that is hard to translate in this context because I 
yeah, like describing someone as a denying kind of person, I'm not sure what that's supposed to mean. <laughs> uh, do you have any ideas? Nah, uh, uh, denying, denial, um, unable to accept the truth. Uh, I, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, see, that's that's one idea, but I don't really see that in Princess Hite, right? Like, is someone being in denial? Anyway, so back to Princess Hite, she, during one of the scenes when she's talking to Emon Zaman, she kind of says very sarcastically, oh, the way you put it, it almost sounds like I'm the descendant of the legendary swordsmith Shikizaki Kiki who ruled over the Sengoku era, and that I've kept track of the perfected deviant blades and stayed one step ahead of that unpleasant woman the whole time. That's totally not true, of course. There's no need to say it. So you can kind of tell by the tone that I was saying it that it's not meant to be taken seriously in that she is mm-hmm. I, I think you know it's hinting at that she is exactly what she just said that she is a, a descendant of Shikizaki Kiki well we can <laughs> revisit that denying comment then maybe she R- yeah. sir? Oh, I was just going to say maybe she doesn't want to be acknowledged as a descendant of, of Shikizaki Kiki hmm. oh actually that's a I didn't think of that. That's a great point. So Shikizaki Kiki is a denying kind of person, and Princess Hite, being his descendant, denies that she's his descendant. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, there's that. That's. I'll have to think about that a little more. That's interesting. Um, and also, we get a little more insight into Emon Zaiman's origins. Again, we get a situation here where somebody's talking about something and they're pretty sh- they're making it sound like it's false but we're pretty sure it's true and which is that Ho-Wo is talking with uh, Penguin if you're again they're the only two ninja left that Emon Zaiman he reminds him a lot of somebody he used to know from back in the day another ninja mm. and he doesn't go fully into detail but he says you know he hints that those they were very close like they were either best buds or rivals or some they had some really really close relationship but he says it's impossible that this Emon Zaiman guy is that same person because he's dead and um, this kind this show being what it is you you know you can be quite sure that what he said is actually right that Emon Zaiman really is the um, the same person from the past. Mm-hmm. That answers and, the question we had from the last podcast about Emon Zaiman's age. Right. It's it's completely consistent with what Emon Zaiman was saying in the that episode where he was a part of an old ninja corps that disbanded like you know decades over a hundred years ago. Mm-hmm. So so he you know he's he's ancient, but he's comes from a much more violent much more powerful era i guess and um yeah at the very end we see as uh, shichika and togame are going back to owari which if you recall that's where togame's home is and with the blade in hand that well first of all shichika is wondering hey can we uh drop by uh dewa tendo maybe give uh, zanki kikuchi a visit again and Togami is like, no, that's not happening. <laughs> uh, you know, she's still a little jealous from the last episode. But more to the point, they run into Manua Penguin, who is by himself on the road with a blade injury on, on his side, just dying. And that's where the episode ends. The assumption being, who did that? Well, right. I mean, that that would be the... If you think about it for like five seconds, that would be the conclusion you got to because of all of Ho's like the evil sword thing but I guess it was meant to be a little um, ambiguous when the uh, episode ended like that because mm-hmm. yeah you're not quite sure why Penguin is away from ho and because you know they're the only two together and actually ho was talking about earlier in the episode that once the sword collection's over ho plans to die as like a redemption for all the ninja that have died under him while collecting the swords. Mm-hmm. So he's kind of wants Penguin to 
continue the legacy of the Maniwa clan because he'll be the only one left. Um, but yeah, this is a kind of a big deal because Maniwa Penguin, we don't know too much about him, but he's not a good guy. He's part of the ninja. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, what are Shichika and Togami going to do now that they've run into him? Well, yeah, we'll be talking about that in the last episode. I was wondering about the Dokuto Meki as these two episodes went on about because of the we talked about the poison and how it affects some people if if Dokuto Meki had any possessive qualities like if it took over Ho after a while because Ho generally seems like a strong minded guy that would be in control but I wonder about uh, if it really got to him and caused him instead of him himself to do what he did to Pangan mm. Yeah, uh, definitely. We're dealing with two very powerful forces here. Ho-Wo is... We still haven't really seen him go all out fighting, but he is supposedly an incredibly powerful fighter. And um, this poison blade, Dokuto Meki, is the most evil, the most poisonous of the blades. So, kind of, it's like unstoppable force meets irresistible object. And... Even Koo uh, actually has to take precaution by gra- touching the sword with his. Uh, uh, fi- well, he after he killed the otter ninja, I forget the guy's name. Actually, he took one of his arms and attached to it, to him <laughs> so that he has both arms again. Which uh, that that was kind of funny when I first saw him with that. It's like I mean, the design doesn't look that particularly, you know crazy but it's like they i don't think they really mentioned this whole uh, arm transfusion or arm transplant like oh i guess they're ninja or, or something they can do that <laughs> like we can't do that right now with modern medicine but no. <laughs> it's magic yeah it's anime uh, yeah so yeah he uses that arm to touch the sword and he says even with that extra layer he could feel like the evilness so well you know so at this point yeah we're you know down to two final two episodes and we have actually seen the two swords that will be featured the dokutomeki we've been talking about and then also the two uh guns which they're called the entoju uh again from the very first episode we knew that they were the 12th sword Mm -hmm. so we've seen the two swords and uh, yeah things seem to be really winding down um, I think episode 10 again things have started to come full circle Togame was back where her basically her journey started when her hair turned white and um, Higakirine it was kind of like challenging both her and Shichika about why they are fighting for what they are fighting for like mm-hmm. Um, I think Rene kind of makes the point that, like, is it all worth it? You've killed so many people. You've caused so much suffering. Like, why do you do this? You know, Shichika's response was, of course, he's doing it for Togame because he fell for her. Um, whereas Togame, she's she's a little more, um, more of a mystery, I guess. She's a bit more c- complicated, I think. Her, mm-hmm. um, At least... When it comes to her thinking process, it's she's she's a lot smarter and more complicated mind than Shichika. <laughs> yeah, but this episode is all uh, you, you say full circle, which is a, a great way to describe this episode with the combination of Tagame's flashback and sort of setting up what what we can expect in these final two episodes with Dokuto Meki and Imon Zaimon's weapons and stuff. Uh, the Higaki Rine, I don't know as a character I liked him so much. He's kind of a kind of one of the weird one of the weirdest guys uh, uh, with the Deviant Blades that I've seen, but I like the, the content as a whole I really enjoy. Yeah, I remember um I think I liked episode nine a lot better than episode ten when I was watching it. I remember like ten definitely confused me a little. And it still confuses me, but you know, watching it again, I could really tell like the what they're starting to get at that 
this this sword collection journey is winding down and we're entering as i said the final chapter sort of and uh higaki rina as you say he's not terribly interesting character he's not really a like meant to be a character i guess he's he's the wise man he's mm-hmm. sort of like um i don't know um it's like uh he's like a jedi who uh <laughs> Or like, uh, like in, yeah, he's uh, like Yoda in uh, Yoda. Ep- yeah. in uh, Star Wars Episode Five, where he's not really there to fight, but he's there to beat this mentor. So yeah, again, he, yeah, he fits that trope, the uh, confusing mentor, maybe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> any uh, any other thoughts on the episode? Uh, any other thoughts? Just uh, just an episode that was important for me to watch the, a second time because the first time I was even more confused I, I still feel a little bit confused about all of the contents of the episode but watching it a second time really did help me out sort of piece together the full story details of not the Tagame stuff, stuff so much but just sort of setting up everything else with uh, with Shichika and, and, and his path yeah definitely the um, it's like the it felt like the last part of the episode was all set up for the final arc the mm-hmm. final two episodes Shichika turns out is the final deviant blade or the 13th deviant blade Manua penguin is here uh, and kind of ends on his cliffhanger there princess Hite turns out is a descendant of Shikizaki Kiki and so yeah, there's all this stories really just kind of building on each- itself and coming together and yeah I think that's I think that's uh, great I, I you know I've throughout the po- these podcasts I think I've tried to make the point that I was you know one of those really skeptical people of this show I didn't really like it until episode 7 so that's half the show and but the way yeah the last few episodes just kind of break the patterns uh, that it's established with this episode by episode 12 episodes 12 swords kind of pattern it starts breaking it playing with it and uh, doing some new things and yeah I really you know in retrospect I really like what this episode did Unrelated, but Princess Ite, like that's uh, I was I was disappointed at throughout the series. Not enough fan service for her. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, I think these past two episodes we got a lot more of her. Like yeah. uh, I didn't mention it, but in episode nine she, there was this whole scene where she was talking to what she thought was Emon Zaman, but it turns out just no one because he wasn't there in the uh, attic as he usually is mm-hmm. but there's this really fun sequence where she's like playing with the fan and it's she's um it has you know the where the fan covers the screen and as, as once the fan moves away she's in a different place in the room that kind of stuff mm-hmm. she had this great um yeah soliloquy or and in this episode i think we saw like a lot of her legs and mm-hmm. <laughs> such not like it, there could have been a scene where, like, she's in a hot springs and he was on the other side of a, a bamboo fence talking to her. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so... But, yeah, you're, I mean, like, Hite, she's... What what we see of her, she's definitely gorgeous. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so... All right, um, I guess uh, I think that's it for this... For Jero, I'm Min, uh, signing off. Thank you for listening. Kotono